0: Welcome to the 86th episode of the Young Terps Podcast from the Viner Four Studio. This is your host, Mason Viner.
1: And your co-host, Jordan Viner.
0: And on today's podcast, we're talking Maryland's win over the Ohio State Buckeyes and the new Maryland football coordinator news. But before we get into all that, this podcast is brought to you by Allied Party Rentals, your hometown tariff and party rental resource. Allied has what you need. Whether you're hosting a large wedding, putting together a small luncheon, or setting up a street festival. Allied has the tents, chairs, linens, china, and other accessories that you're looking for. Wayne from Turp Talk has known Donnie at Allied since 1995. Located right next to College Park in Beltsville, Maryland. And serving the entire DMV. Contact Allied today for a free, no obligation quote, at 301-986-0067. Or visit them at AlliedPartyRentals.com.
1: Jordan, now for the Terrapin Rundown want to start things off, the non Report today, the gymnastics team is currently in Champaign, Illinois, taking on the Illinois Fighting Illini, and, well, we don't know what's going on right now, but hopefully they get off to a good Big Ten season start.
0: Yeah, it's only their second meet of the season, and it's already Big Ten play. That is definitely different. Moving on, the women's basketball team got whacked by Michigan State on the road by a score of 77-60, to 60. Michigan State took a 22-6 to six lead in the first quarter. Maryland battled back and was able to cut the lead to three at the half, but the Spartans would go back up by 17 by the end of the third quarter and from there on would just hold their lead. So definitely a different game from the Maryland women's team. They haven't really done that much this year. They went down and then they battled back. That's not really their style
1: of play. No, and it was a bit disappointing to see the Terps Um, kind of falter in a big game but they will get a chance for some redemption as they take the floor again tomorrow against Penn State at home 2 p.m. for superhero day at Xfinity Center
0: yeah and that game can be seen on ESPN too the Maryland men's lacrosse team announced three game times for the 2019 season they'll play on Saturday February 2nd or February 9th at noon against Richmond on Tuesday the 19th they'll play against Colgate at 5 p.m. on a Tuesday that's Wayne Brewson's uh, favorite time, you know, 5 p.m. on a weekday. And on Saturday, March 16th, they'll take on Villanova at 3. And today, they took on Marquette in a scrimmage game at Maryland Stadium.
1: Yep. Um, I, I don't understand Maryland's obsession with the 5 p.m. weekday start times. But at least it's not for a big game.
0: Yeah, that that that's definitely right. It's probably on ESPNU. That's probably why ESPN always has the um, weekday, I guess, late afternoon, early evening lacrosse games on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. In other Maryland lacrosse news, former Terp Joe Cummings was named the head coach of the Charlotte Hounds of the MLL.
1: Yeah, uh, great to see Joe Cummings move up in the coaching rankings and just wish him success. I don't really know how the Charlotte Hounds are as a franchise, but hopefully he'll be able to take them at least to the playoffs.
0: Yeah, let's move to um, this um, Maryland football news that we have here. Let's start it off with Jalen Hurts. He decides to go to Oklahoma. You know, this just – this was coming. Uh, When Austin Kendall put his name into the transfer portal and he's now at West Virginia where he's going to play his last two years of eligibility, it just had a bad omen on
1: it. Yeah, and – there were a lot of people who were talking about why Maryland was ever really in the discussion other than Mike Loxley, and I think that that kind of came to the top here because when you're going up against a program like Oklahoma, I don't know how Maryland can sell themselves against a Oklahoma who you know, sells out their 90,000-seat stadium every week and has one of the greatest traditions in college football, and B has Lincoln Riley who may be the best offensive coach in football right now. I don't know how you can sell against those two factors.
0: To me, the tradition part definitely doesn't matter. Throw it out the window. He was considering Houston. He was considering Maryland. And he was considering this new version of the U, which I don't really see as anything close to the early 2000s or the 80s and the 90s. I don't really see it that way. I mean, it might be, but it's that that version of the U is gone.
1: Okay, I think it's I think those are fair and he's already seen he'd already been to the big tradition. Yeah, that's now. that was
0: my next point. I mean, he played for Alabama, possibly the best college football run that we've seen at least in recent history, if not at this point, maybe ever. So I really think it comes down to Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley has Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray to his name. Kyler Murray right now is I mean, he's come from maybe he shouldn't play football to Being a top 15 pick, Baker Mayfield was the number one pick of the draft and is successful. So, when you're looking at this from Jalen Hurts' perspective, maybe you haven't had those opportunities to really show your game. When Hurts was the starter, Alabama was a running team, and he wants to go out and showcase his talent. And if you're really looking from the big picture, what's the downside? He plays in the Big 12. It's not like he's playing against an SEC defense or a Big 10 defense where he plays for Maryland and they don't have a great offensive line, and the receivers are young. He's going to Oklahoma, where literally the downfall of that whole league, in terms of the playoff, in terms of national recognition, is the defense. So if I'm Jalen Hurts, what's my negative? I get to showcase the fact that I can really throw the ball. I get to play against some weak defenses. And I get to play for a guy that's put two guys in the NFL, and the NFL is starting to drop the whole... Big 12 stigma as far as quarterbacks.
1: I mean, that's really it for me. You couldn't, as much as Jalen might have liked Mike Boxley, you, it I don't know how you can sell. If you're any coach of the country at this point, I don't know how you can sell against Lincoln Riley with his reputation with quarterbacks. And for, yeah, Jalen Hurts needs to show that he can throw the ball down the field, and he's going to have to in Oklahoma's offense. So either he's going to sink or swim, but I would not bet against Lincoln Riley with any quarterback.
0: I would. He's had two quarterbacks, one of them that floats through the air and can throw the ball 50 yards, and the other one that just made plays. He he hasn't had – it's been two guys, and both of them he's only had to have for one year, and Hurts is going to be another one. He hasn't had to really develop a long-term quarterback yet. I get what you're saying, but it's not set in stone yet, Jordan. You just can't count it done, and I don't really think Hurts allows you to count it done either because that's three one-year quarterbacks.
1: Well he well he was the o c with Baker Mayfield for three years though,
0: yeah, but he wasn't the he wasn't wearing the number one headset and doing all the recruiting and it's just this isn't an Oklahoma podcast, so we'll move faster, it, but it's just it's not done yet with the one year quarterbacks uh, moving all right, on I think
1: I think it's a fair point.
0: We'll talk about what Maryland hopes to make their own Lincoln Riley, and that man's name is Scotty Montgomery, and I really like this hire uh We'll go through his career. Really quickly, and we'll start with who he played for. He played for Duke from 1996 to 1999. He played in the NFL for the Panthers for a year, the Broncos, the Raiders, the Georgia. Is it the Georgia Force?
1: Yeah, I think they're an AFL team.
0: And then he was out of pro football. And then as far as a coaching career, he was the Duke wide receivers coach starting in 2006. Then he moved to the Steelers wide receiver coach from 2010 to 2012. Then he went back to Duke. As the assistant head coach wide receivers and passing game coordinator and then he went to the full OC the next year and then he took the head coaching job at East Carolina where he did not fare very well and now he has come to College Park to Maryland
1: so his big I guess coaching achievement so far was the development of Antonio Bratton with the Steelers where he was wide receiver coach as he moved to becoming an all-pro receiver and he would did pretty well at Duke. With Duke, he kind of oversaw Duke's offensive revitalization into... um, What I'm trying to say with that um, was Duke... He was a big part of Duke's turning into a respectable football program, which is why he ended up at ECU. The problem was ECU was just in a bad spot when he got there.
0: Yeah, my main thing with, you know, his stature, I guess, is Duke. If you start off with 2013, when he returned to the Blue Devils, they were 10-4. and four. If you go to 2014, they were 9-4. and four. He was very accomplished there under a guy who I personally see as one of the best coaches in the country, David Cutcliffe. I mean, he's turned Duke into something. We all have to remember that. And Scotty Montgomery was a big part of that, and there are multiple players of note on Duke's offense during that time and multiple quarterbacks who while they might have not been the best talent were very successful.
1: Yeah. David Cutliffe was in running for Tennessee's job last year. He's a very accomplished guy and Scotty Montgomery's probably the most successful disciple so far. I my only issue with this is I think recruiting. Um Montgomery's from North Carolina. He specialized in recruiting the Carolinas and Florida. And he was never great at luring talent to ECU during his three years there.
0: But ECU was just, as we've already said, was in a bad place. ECU had multiple, I really think, had a lot of big struggles during his time. I'm not sure if he was really the right guy to take that job. Maryland had to replace the Florida recruiter. Obviously, if you look at the early Darken years, and Beatty, they were great at recruiting Florida, and that kind of um, didn't work out so well near the end of Durkin's career, and Beatty was able to do it with a few guys from Tampa, but they have all decommitted at this point from Maryland, and with Beatty, obviously, I think, departing now, those guys aren't coming back. So you got to re- kind of reestablish Florida. It's a lot easier to recruit at a Duke, a Maryland, you know, these kind of... I don't even know what to call them. They're the mid power fives, I guess. The mid or lower power fives?
1: I would call I'd say lower power five, yeah.
0: It's a lot easier to recruit those areas than obviously at an East Carolina where they were successful not too long ago. But you know in this new age, if you're not successful the year before these guys are coming to you, then it becomes a whole new battle.
1: I think the Crisp Bay E point is a pretty good one. I don't really think about that. And I think that my only issue with this is the circumstances around it. I just, it feels like Simon Montgomery was almost a kind of a last, last ditch guy, considering how everything went with Gattis. But I don't, I think we definitely could have done worse. You got a respected football guy who has had success as an OC in the Power Five before, as well as some head coaching experience, which mm-hmm. is kind of lacking. Yeah, definitely. So I think that this is, it's a pretty good leg, considering the circumstances.
0: Yeah, um, just to wrap it up here, I thought it was a really good move. Obviously, the want was definitely there for T. Martin, who just got a job today at Tennessee. He's back at his alma mater. And obviously, Josh Gaddis. Those were kind of your two names that were really being thrown around, and people were really kind of eating that up. But let's kind of take a step back. And I was talking about this, and I'm not sure if you were still on the phone. We were talking after Josh Gaddis. And Jalen Hurts kind of happened back-to-back, you know, kind of back-to-back things. We were talking about the, the bigger picture, and I'm not sure if you heard this, but when Ralph was really successful at Maryland, it was kind of a last run for so many of his coordinators that I really can't remember the name of right now, but I'm sure someone will be able to remind me of those guys. And they really weren't leaving Maryland. There wasn't really a push for those guys to go out, you know, become head coaches, and I feel like Mike Oxley's really taking his time here. He's really reviewing, trying to get some guys that aren't going to be like DJ Durkin's staff. There's not going to be a Mike London kind of guy where all he wants is to be a head coach, and he'll take, in this case, the Howard job, or now he's at William & Mary. You know, not really great opportunities, but he just wants to be a head coach. And sure, that could have been other circumstances, and I'm sure you can push for that with DJ Durkin. But at the end of the day, there wasn't much sticking around, sticking with this guy. I think Mike Locksley's trying to build a staff that will be here, because it's really hard to build a program when you know Josh Gaddis has a good season next year. Maryland pulls out a eight and four, nine and three, or you know nine and four kind of season, and then he's gone. He's going to be a head coach at Arkansas State, UMass. I think that Mike Loxley is really trying to build something that's going to last maybe just two years. If they're successful for two years, then great. Then you can replace somebody. But you don't want that guy who's just going to skip town. And I feel like maybe he felt that about T. Martin. I think he might have felt that about Butch Jones. Just these guys that are trying to get back up the scale. So Loxley made the choices.
1: I think what you're trying to say is you don't want climber coaches. You don't want social climber kind of guys. Well, I'm not trying to say that, though.
0: It's not social climbers. You got to talk about this. bit. This is a business. I mean, I feel like that's what we see. They're all friends, or a lot of them are friends. Some of them really don't like each other. But at the end of the day, it's how far up can I get? You know, Butch Jones has already been to one of the highest levels of college football, in my opinion, at the University of Tennessee. That's pretty far up on the scale. And he's probably trying to get back there. And yes, this is pretty much what you said, but it's not that they're really just trying to push for a job, but he might be trying to get guys that have had that experience and then trying just to, you know, maybe settle down for a few years. But yeah, I didn't really. um, It's really hard kind of to describe this as a whole.
1: All right. Well, I think that kind of is enough about Scottie Montgomery. We have some other hires. Uh, John Reagan, who was the Penn State... Not, sorry, not Penn State. The Penn Quakers offensive coordinator is now the offensive line coach replacing Brian, Brian Steinspring.
0: Yeah. Um, can we just... I feel like Maryland has had some really good offensive line coach coaches. Steinspring would probably land third on my list, to be honest. We just got to keep one of these guys around. The talent that I believe was, I don't want to say thrown away, I don't want to really say misused, but maybe, Jordan, you can help me out finding the right word for it, but was just kind of butchered. I think that's a good word. The talent was kind of butchered by the turnover at this job. Every offensive line coach has their own way of doing this. Every offensive line coach wants to put their own run scheme in, put their own pass scheme in, wants different guys to pinch in and different guys to engage. And Maryland just never got the luxury during the Darken era and during the era of you know these linemen that were supposed to be the best, the best, the best in the Big Ten. Maryland never had that consistency there, and it really ended up hurting them, especially last year when you had to see guys go to the bench and a lot of false start penalties and just different things that you really weren't expecting out of what was really supposed to be one of the best lines in the Big Ten.
1: I think that's a fair point. I think that especially across the offensive consistency is a really big deal and I hope that this guy stays around he's not the highest regarded hire we've ever had
0: no not at all but if it works it works I mean you're talking about a guy that's been a coordinator that can definitely help out in the room and there's not really much to say here I mean he's had some experience at some different places Kansas, Rice Penn I mean he's had experience he's been around so maybe maybe Michael Oxley has met this guy and was impressed by him and really thinks that he can do something here and he'll stick around for some time, and that I think that's what he's looking for.
1: Oh, I hope so. Um, a quick overview of his experience real quick before we move on. He was, he's been the OC and offensive line coach at Penn for the last two years. Before that, he had a year at Kansas as OC, a couple years at Rice, and it just keeps going backwards. He's been an offensive line coach for a long time. He's on the defensive side for a little bit. He's had a lot of um, lower profile jobs, but uh, that's kind of it. He's had a lot of experience, but none of it is really high level. And hopefully, he's a good, good guy.
0: Position coach that we will be talking about here on the Young Terps podcast, Mike Miller, a former graduate assistant at Alabama, will be taking over the tight ends position coach at Maryland. Not much on this guy because you know he's fresh out of being a GA, but. Loxley's definitely had some experience with him, and now he's a Terp, so glad to have him.
1: I hope, I really do hope that Scottie Montgomery actually uses the tight end position at all. I That'd think he nice. does. I think he does, you see, too. That's
0: one more thing, than... okay. one more thing on Scotty Montgomery before we finish talking about this hire and then move on to the basketball game. I believe that Duke ran somewhat of like a pro spread Definitely not the old Michael Oxley offense and definitely not the Matt Canada offense, but kind of a mix of under center and then shotgun. But we all know Michael Oxley is a real spread him out all-shotgun kind of guy. So what what do you think the mix
1: is going to be? That's a good question, because Guy Montgomery definitely does have a sort of pro style to him. And Michael Oxley, as we've seen in Alabama, uses a kind of spread... Well, a, we've seen that in Maryland, pop, too. It's the power spread. That's what it's called. And I think that we're probably going to see something closer to Loxley's system. Yep. Just guessing. But I hope we at least incorporate some elements of pro style in.
0: So I definitely agree with that. And I got one more note on this before we wrap up the coach speak here. If you look at Sabin and then you look at what Loxley adapted there and you look at what Kiffin adapted and Shark and all those guys. Um Saban wasn't not going to give up the power game. It just wasn't going to happen. So all those guys kind of added that in. Now maybe Scotty Montgomery was more of a spread guy, and then, you know, obviously David Cutcliffe, who coached, you know, the Mannings and all those guys, really pro style, classic pro style quarterbacks, wasn't going to let him run a complete spread. So maybe they're both kind of just spread spread-it-out kind of coaches, but they adapted. But hopefully Loxley and Montgomery both take that kind of power aspect, that drop-back quarterback aspect, and apply it here at Maryland. Because if you look at what Maryland has in that quarterback room right now, Piggy, DeSue, and borty Well, if Piggy goes down, I still think that Bortenschlager is going to be the backup. So you might end up, or maybe Borty even ends up being the starter just because he can kind of just throw the ball downfield, be an accurate quarterback and really use the running backs, run the ball. Maybe he ends up being the start, starter. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of system goes in and fits with these quarterbacks, but it's definitely a different spread of guys. As far as tight end goes, Okonkwo was in the offense quite a lot at the beginning of the season, kind of ended up falling out of it by the end don't think Avery Edwards, I feel like he's been here for the past 15 years, has any eligibility left. I think he's graduated, if I'm correct.
1: I, I think so.
0: And then you have Noah Barnes, who's more of a blocking tight end. So there's – I mean, Okonkwo, we definitely saw his talent, not as much in the pass game as you did in the run game, kind of that – um, it's kind of like a super back position. But there's still there's definitely some talent there with him, and hopefully – you can develop it, you can use it, and he won't just go to waste.
1: All right. Well, um, anyway, yeah, Mike Miller doesn't have much experience. He's a grad assistant. We'll see how he does. But think about this, Jordan.
0: Okay. What other place is better to learn how to coach in Alabama as far as being a graduate assistant, seeing the processes, and seeing how it's done every day?
1: Oh, nowhere. I think Nick Saban may be the greatest college football coach of all time, and I think it's, he's it's a great place to learn how to coach. I think we've seen it with Fox or at least I hope we'll see it with locks. And I don't know. I think tight end for us is probably going to be a good place to kind of hide and learn how to play – or, sorry, learn how to coach. And I don't know. I don't know how much I can really say about this. We don't know anything, really.
0: All right, that's going to wrap it up for the little coaching segment that we had here. And before we get to basketball, this podcast is also brought to you by Maryland Eurocars. When you're looking for somewhere to service your European car, look no further – than Maryland Euro cars, We have a few Audis in the family and some BMWs at the office. And we take our cars to Christian at Maryland Euro Cars. Christian and his team know their way around Audis, BMWs, Mercedes, Bentleys, VWs, and many more makes. Always friendly, courteous, and honest along with being an extra clean shop. Maryland Euro Cars is the best place to take your priced automobile. And they are the most reasonably priced shop in town. Located in Rockville, you can call them at 301-217-5831. That's Christian at Maryland Eurocars at 301-217-5831 and tell them that the Young turp sent you. So Maryland came out victorious over the Ohio State Buckeyes 75-61. to Jordan, your
1: thoughts? Well, I expected this game to be a lot closer, I'll tell you that much. Um, what What's the takeaway? Well, the first thing I'd say is, wow, we were very accurate from three in that game.
0: Yeah, they came out firing... Actually, they really didn't come out firing. They came out, and the game was kind of—it was early. The game was at an odd time. Again, another game for Maryland where the game's at an odd time. There aren't that many fans in the building at the beginning. In this case, really the end of the game. And it just kind of gets slow. And this game was a little bit shorter than it usually is. And then both teams just kind of kick out of that slow first gear and get into second and third and really just get into their motion and really take off.
1: Yeah, the Terps really let the game come to them in this one. They were shooting well. They were um, 64% from deep, 58% from the field. And no one had a really bad game in this one. It was a slow kind of affair. The Terps were able to kind of grind their lead out. Whenever Ohio State took a, had a surge in the second half, they are able to take it back. They weren't shooting particularly well. Ohio State wasn't, that is. And Maryland just played a better game.
0: Yeah. I'll definitely take that as... That, that's a pretty good observation of the game. Early on, I saw some things that you really just don't see out of Maryland earlier. One of which was Caleb Weston down low getting offensive rebounds against Bruno and Jalen Smith. And then that kind of went away by the end of the game. Maryland kind of looked weak at the beginning of the game. I don't know if you saw that, but as they just got into the game, as they got into the flow, Eric yellow made a big three. I think it made the score 10-6, to 6, and that's when you were like, Maryland's got this. They're, they're here to play. And then it just happened. just Something just clicks into gear with this team during these games, and then they're just ready to play from that point on. And this was a game, as we talked about, and as has been just thrown around by almost everybody in the That covers Maryland. This game meant a lot. Because this game is not one that Maryland wins. Against a desperate Ohio State team. If you look at where Ohio State is. And I see it on the side of the box score here. The Big Ten standings. They're in what? 14th, 13th, 12th, 11th. They're in 10th place now. They were in desperation mode. Because their schedule is not easy from here moving on. This was just such a big win. And you know what Jordan? I think we both... Finally, we're ready to say it. Mark Turgeon is doing a great job with this team, getting them ready to play, and then making possibly those slight in-game adjustments that just make it that much better, that just gets this team that well-oiled to play in these games.
1: I think that we've seen good progress from him. I think that one of the bigger ones for me is that he's not making Bruno and Sticks play the entire game. And yeah, we'll talk about Sticks as kind of fade into the background a little bit later on. But there were periods in this game where Bruno and Sticks are both on the bench, and the team caught it together pretty well. They're okay with letting Ricky Lindo get some extra run. Bruno only played 33 minutes, and this game Sticks only 30. And it's fine. The team is okay. The only t- player that we really can't live without right now is Anthony Cowan. And that's kind of just expected from Turgeon, in my opinion, at this point.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I also think Bruno kind of fits into that box if we just go over um, what the Terps did in this game. Anthony Cowan, 38 minutes, 5 for 13 from the field, 3 for 7 from 3, and 7 for 8 from the line. 20 points, 4 rebounds, 6 assists, only 4 turnovers. Another just great game from Anthony Cowan who's definitely, as you just said, he might, I think he's reached the peak of his maybe his Maryland career. There's definitely some room they can go higher. But he's getting up close to the peak of what we thought Anthony Cowan could be when he first
1: came to College Park. And the weird thing about Ant, in general, is that statistically speaking, he's not—he's far from perfect. You know, he missed—he missed eight shots. Team, we missed eighteen shots as a whole. He's three for seven from deep. He has four turnovers. But at the same time, if you watch the games, you understand that we need him to shoot enough that he scores the certain amount of points. He runs the offense. The offense runs through him, actually, rather. And he's also turning into one of our best defenders.
0: Yeah, let's move to Bruno Fernando, who didn't really shoot it that much 5-for-6 from the field. Had a bunch of open threes, and I was begging for him to take one, but he didn't. 3-for-3 from the free-throw line. 15 boards, 13 points, 4 assists. I mean, this guy just... There's just something about the way Bruno Fernando plays. He just... It's not really... Always in your face, even though he loves to get in people's faces, it's not really like that. It's just he kind of just sunk into the background this game and then peeked out at little times and made massive plays for the Terps.
1: Yeah, he was quietly efficient. Didn't have any huge impact plays. So oh, he did have a block that was. Um, oh, it was a monster. Awesome. Yeah, but other than that, he was just doing his job, sitting around, and that's fine. He got 15 rebounds. He scored 13 points. And he's that's what we need him to do. I think that kind of wraps it up for me.
0: The next guy on this list, kind of, I think he kind of took over the Ricky Lindo role in this game, and it was Daryl Morcel. And I'm going to go out on a limb here here and say Daryl Morcel was one of the most important players in Maryland's win, Maryland being able to win this game.
1: I will agree. He. He was the extra guy tonight. He scored 11 points. He made a three, played good defense, but he scored 11 points. But that's not why. Okay, why do you you say why?
0: Early in the game, I'm not sure um, if a lot of people caught this. Maryland was slow, and Daryl Morcel was the one that scored. He was the one that didn't let Ohio State jump out too early. He stopped Ohio State from being The flyer out of the gate, getting up by 10 like Maryland seems to really like to let the other team do at this point early on. He prevented that with a few early baskets. And then you can talk about later in the game where he made a few twos that probably, you know, really helped Maryland put the game away. But Morsell's kind of catching on a little bit, just enough on offense to kind of become a big-time impact player, giving Maryland, again, as you said, that extra guy, 5 for 9 from the field, 1 for 2 from 3. Only two rebounds, an assist. And two steals and Morcel just he gives you that extra thing on the defense. And I know you were saying, I'm not sure if it was on the air or not though that Morcel kind of is an offensive liability. It's starting to kind of fade away that he's really not that big of a negative on offense anymore.
1: Yeah, he like we've been saying this at the beginning of his career, if he can learn to shoot, then we can, he becomes a complete player. And if we're if he starts to figure that out, then that's great for the team.
0: Yeah, I've heard it from um and Sticks' trainer a few times that he really works on his craft in shooting. He can really do it. It just hasn't happened
1: in the game. And that's not that uncommon. Players need – they are talking about it in the um, FS1 broadcast with Ohio State granted, but they were talking about it. But they, players just need to see the ball go in a couple of times during a game to get in the rhythm, and maybe this was that game for Darren Marcel.
0: Hopefully it was. Um, moving right along here to Jalen Smith, 30 minutes on the night, three for four, shooting it one for one from deep, three for three from the free throw line, only six rebounds and 10 points to go with that. He, as you said, is kind of stepped, taking a step back into the shadows a little bit, but he popped out with, I thought he hit more than one three, but he popped out with the three. He just makes another guy making little plays, making it count, and not making big mistakes.
1: Yeah, Jalen Smith, in my opinion, well, I actually just said this refer to um last game, but he's since he had that total abomination of a game against Indiana, when he went 0 for 11. 0 for he's 9. Just kind of, sorry, 0 for nine. He's just kind of rehabbing back in. He he's he started to show some progress with Wisconsin. Now we're seeing him take another step against Ohio State. And hopefully he'll get back to being confident and back in his game mm-hmm. by Michigan State. But mm-hmm. this is okay. He, he just needs to get back in rhythm.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, but you're kind of missing part of the story. Jalen Smith came out in, against Nebraska and made that shot. And then they went to Minnesota, and he was the guy. And then he crashed. So you're missing it. He went really high up, and then he came really far back down. Now he's working his way back up. Kind of just, he's playing like a freshman. He's going up and down. But I really like the consistent Jalen Smith, the guy that steps out and pops a mid-range jumper. The guy that makes that extra play. He dunked the ball that kind of really – was it him or Bruno? I really forgot. I think it was Jalen Smith that dunked the ball and kind of really finished it off. He's just making plays. He's making it happen. It's not bad, but it's not necessarily great. But you know he can every once in a while he'll have a great game, and every once in a while it just won't go so well. Uh, the last kinda... starter, continue, Jordan.
1: Oh, my last thing is James Smith says, that's okay, but I think it's pretty obvious to me at least that we're going to need him to be in the zone if we want to beat Michigan State.
0: Definitely, and we'll talk about that coming up here. The last starter for Maryland is Eric Ayella, who went out with an injury to his, I think it was Turgeon said it was his
1: hip. Uh, yeah, that's what, he, he kind of fell hard on his hip bone when he was coming down after drilling um, for a rebound on defense. That was about halfway through the second half, and um, he did not return.
0: Yeah, more on that in a minute. Um, 20 minutes, two for three. Both of those bat- made baskets were threes, which only gave him six points, a rebound, an assist, a block, and a steal. So 20 minutes from him, played really solid, made some big shots early, but again, he went out with the injury. Um, The update on that is members of the media said that he walked by him, he looked completely fine, and when asked about it, Mark Turgeon said Eric could have come back, but he thought he would have hurt the team if he returned to the game because they were just you know, they were in a groove. Uh, moving on to Maryland's bench really quickly, Aaron Wiggins kind of filled in for those minutes with twenty three on the night, four for seven shooting, three for four from deep. I'm um, I really like this game from Aaron Wiggins. He kind of popped back out. He was in a slump for a few minutes there.
1: Yeah, Wigg showed back up after taking a couple of weeks to be a freshman, lack a better word. And it was fine. 3-4 from deep, saw his shooting skills out again. And he didn't make any mistakes. He was decent on defense, which is a pretty big deal for him. And it was a solid performance from Aaron Wiggins. That's all I want to say about that.
0: Sorrell Smith, eight minutes, one shot, it went in, it was a three-pointer. A solid night from him, just gives Maryland fill-in minutes, and honestly, we all have to remember where we were last year and just how big a deal it is to have a point guard that can give you eight minutes. Uh, Ricky Lindo, 11 minutes on the night, a point, a few rebounds, solid defense, but let's discuss, Jordan, and really quickly we'll go over even Bender's stat, Line which was six minutes, a assist, two turnovers, and that is it. Instead of Lindo and Fernando or Lindo and Smith, it was Bender and Lindo. What did you think of that? I personally did not really care for it much.
1: It was fine. <laughs> That's all I can really say. It was. It was. It could have been really bad. It wasn't. They're not going to give you any points. They're going to play some okay defense, and Ricky's going to fight for a rebound or two and that's kind of it. it. It works for short periods of time, and it works to give Fernando and Stick some extra juice in the second half. And it's a worthy trade off, in my opinion, if you need to do it for a couple of minutes in the first.
0: All right. Um, since we're running along here on the Young Turps podcast this week, um, we'll just hit on a few things with Ohio State. We won't go over it completely, and then we will talk about the Michigan State game. Uh, for Ohio State, C.J. Jackson, Caleb Weston, and Andre Weston. Definitely the guys who are um, the um, big-time players on this Ohio State team. Guys that I really liked, I really thought that Caleb Weston is a really good player. Obviously, he got in a little foul trouble. Bruno really did a nice job after a quick start that Weston had to really step in to his own and stand up on defense strong. Um, C.J. Jackson... Uh, He's been around there for a long time. He can make some plays. But what did you think, and I'll give my theory after yours, what did you think the reason that Ohio State's kind of slid is? Because I thought they were a pretty solid team.
1: Well, CJ Jackson had like, yeah, he had eight minutes in the first 13 minutes. I'm sorry, eight points in the first 13 minutes of the first half. And then he only got 15 minutes, uh, 15 points, oh my God, on the game. So... I don't know what happened with Ohio State in this game. They started off okay, and they just, it was like their season. They just started off okay, and then they just slammed into a wall at some point.
0: Yeah. Um, I definitely think that that's a good way to put it. It just seemed that Ohio State's got, I would think that Woods, the two Western brothers, and Jackson are a really solid core. And then I really like Kyle Young off the bench for Ohio State. But other than that, there wasn't much really there
1: well the Dwayne Washington guy the guy um with the tattoos who kind of looks like George Hill in my opinion number four he was pretty good in the first half on um, the game was 5 for 10 14 points and um, I thought he played pretty well in relief and then he kind of went away too it's just as the game went on they I don't know what the problem is maybe it's lack of depth maybe it's something else mm-hmm. but the team just ran out of gas yeah they, they just make didn't make
0: that yeah that's what I was going to say it wasn't really a lack of – I don't even – what did you say? What do you call it? Lack of depth? Yeah, I didn't really think it was that. I didn't think it was really a depth issue. I didn't really think it was a um, skill issue. It was just no one was there, Anthony Cowan. No one stepped out and made that shot for Ohio State that kept you in the game, that kept you going, that got the crowd back into it. I'm really – um. Waiting to really see on Ohio State for the rest of the season because I think they can do some good things. I think they're an NCAA tournament team if they can just get some things together. But the schedule doesn't get any easier for the Buckeyes, and the schedule really doesn't get any easier for the Terrapins as they take on Michigan State on Monday. A top-ten team, and now since the Michigan Wolverines lost at Wisconsin, a game for a share of first place in the Big Ten.
1: Unseeded as number one, at least for now. This game has huge implications going forward for the Big Ten race. And this is a weird feeling for me, because Michigan State and Maryland don't seem like they're on the same plane, really. But it's going to look probably something like number five Michigan versus number 15 Maryland or something. So I guess, in theory, we should be able to match up with them.
0: Yeah, we should, but there are definitely some things I don't like, and I Reference that I would say something about um, what Jalen Smith needs to do in this game earlier. You're going against a team in Michigan State who has Nick Ward still down low, big body down there in the post, just really owns it. They have Goins. They have, they're tough, Xavier Tillman. They just – they're a tough team. They're a Tom Izzo tough team. And what you really got to do is you got to look at Jalen Smith, you got to look at Ricky Lindo, and you got to look at Bender – And then you got to say, who is going to step up? Who's going to make this different from what it was last year where Maryland was just dominated? Because Bruno, the most talented Maryland big man that we've seen since Jordan Williams or people want to go back to Chris Wilcox. He gets in foul trouble. He gets into trouble. So it's going to be that second-level guy, whoever's going to step up to make the plays. I think Maryland can take Cassius Winston. I think Maryland can really compete in this game. But the level of compete might be a little bit different. I, I don't really know what Jordan – what what do you think your score is? Because I really think Maryland could lose this game by 15, but you'll say, okay, they competed. They played hard. They pushed Michigan State, but Michigan State just made a few more plays, and they're at home.
1: Oh, man, this game's hard to predict for me. To go on what you said – I kind of go back to Jalen Smith. This is going to go down to, I think we can say Bruno's going to be able to have a good game. I think that Ant and Sticks need to step up because Anthony Cowan is going up against one of his few equals in the Big Ten at point guard and Cassius Winston, a fellow junior, by the way, and a fellow contender in the Big Ten Player of the Year race. And Jalen Smith is going to have to be able to use his length, his 6'11 frame, To go up against Nick Ward if he so needs to, because Nick Ward also has 30 pounds on him, but Sticks has 11 inches. Like he needs to be able to leverage his ability to kind of get around some of his problems. With that said, I'm gonna say Maryland loses 79 to 70. I think it's gonna be a close game. I think Maryland's gonna make a surge at the end, but I just don't think they have enough to push it over the top on the road.
0: Don't really think you meant to say that Sticks has 11 inches on Nick Ward. Um,
1: no, I meant to say he has three inches. Yeah, to six there we six, go. 11.
0: Um, as far as this game goes, score wise, I'm gonna say Maryland loses this game by around ten. I think that Bruno, I think Tom Izzo will scheme to get Bruno into foul trouble. I think that Michigan State just might have. They have it. They've played against Kansas. They played against. I think they have played against Duke. They've played against the top-tier teams. And Maryland, I think it's going to show on the road, you really just haven't done that. And Michigan State's going to be at home. Everyone knows that that is a tough place to play. The Breslin Center with the Izzone just doesn't favor Maryland. But this is a good thing that Maryland gets to play this game. I'm not going to say that it's putting Maryland at some game that they can't handle. This is good for the long term. This is a great game to see really where you're at because Michigan State is truly a top-ten team. You're just going to get to learn a lot about yourself in this game. And maybe if you can pull it out, that would be amazing.
1: I think a lot of what you said is true. This is a very big game to gauge how good we really are. I think I have a few things that are going to define the game for me. I think one is Sticks performance. If we can, if Mark Turgeon can somehow coax the Jalen Smith we saw early in the season and at Minnesota out. against Nebraska. Really Oregon, Nebraska, he's been there actually a lot this yes. season. He j- just been in a slump recently. If he can get out of that and be the 20 points, 10 rebounds guy that we've seen a lot this season, then that's a huge equalizer for us because he can be the true third star that we need to win this game. But I think another thing that's really going to be, be a factor is our inexperience as a team because we are the youngest team in the Big Ten. We don't really have – we have even vendors our only senior, at least, you know, plays – and I think it's gonna be a problem. This is gonna be the biggest game of a lot of these freshmen's career. It might just be the biggest game Bruno Fernandez' career too. And I think it's gonna be it's gonna show. I think Maryland's gonna fall behind early. They're gonna push back, but they're just not gonna be able to get over the top. Seventy nine, seventy Michigan State.
0: Wow, that was good. I'm not sure if I can top that one, Jordan. Um, I think the Maryland's gonna keep it close early. Then they're gonna face foul trouble, have to go to Lindo, and as much as I really like Ricky Lindo. He's a really talented player. He can really get there. He's just not there yet. They'll force Ricky Lindo into the game. Lindo will struggle. Then they'll get Bender out there. And then Maryland's going to have to go back to Daryl Morcel at power forward. And that, those, I'm going to say it's about a stretch of eight minutes will define this game. Michigan State will get a run going and keep that lead all the way to a 85-73 to 73 victory over Maryland in the Breslin Center on Martin Luther King Day. I think that's a wrap, Jordan. you
1: have anything else? I have one more thing to say. You and a few other people I've seen on Twitter and the radio and such have been saying that Jalen Smith isn't, or at least not yet, isn't thick enough, isn't tough enough to really win the game in the Big Ten. I think if this is the moment for him then, if he can win this game, if he can put together 20 points against Michigan State's interior, then I think he, you guys might have some apology letters to write. Or you could, or you could be proven right. But I think maybe we'll see it from Sticks this week. Look, I'm, I,
0: I don't think apology. Like I think that he would really can step into his own. I'm not gonna say that he has. It's obvious that he hasn't been there all season. But he's shown flashes of. He's shown flashes where he gets really into the game. Where Bruno pumps him up, and the team's like, "Yeah, Jalen, let's get after it right now." And they do a great job. Bruno Fernando does a great job of doing that, especially when he's playing well. Maryland just needs to hype each other up, get ready to go, because that environment is going to be ready. Michigan State is going to be ready. Michigan State was just pushed to the edge against Nebraska, so they don't think they can beat every team handedly. You're going to be a top 15 team. Everything changes. Mark Turgeon says it. You know, I know Mark Turgeon's not the most hype man ever, but he says when you get into that, when that number goes up against your name, You're not only beating the team in front of you, you're also beating your own ranking. Because everybody wants that win on their tournament resume. Everyone wants to say they beat Maryland when Maryland was number 19 or they beat Maryland when Maryland was number 22 or whatever ranking you are. It adds a whole new element to the game. And now both of these teams are playing against it. It's a ranked battle on a Monday night in East Lansing. And it's just been a while since Maryland's played one of these games. And I'm pretty happy to be watching one. Hopefully Maryland can pull it out. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Young Turps Podcast. As always, we would like to thank our sponsors, Viner Four Gates in Rockville. For all your IT needs, Viner Four Gates is the place to go. You can reach Viner Four Gates at 301-251-2900 or on the web at oneviner.com. Allied Party Rentals, for all of your party rental needs, Allied is the place to go. From everything from a dance floor to DJ stations, to silverware, they have it all at Allied Party Rentals to make your perfect party. Everything from a presidential inauguration to a luncheon, they do it all at Allied. You can visit their website at AlliedPartyRentals.com. And if you're looking for a five-star service experience for your Audi, for your BMW, for your Mercedes, there's no better place to get it than Maryland EuroCars. You can reach Christian at 301-217-5831. And that's Maryland EuroCars. Jordan, give a shout-out to the Young Terps' Twitter handle.
1: You can follow us on Twitter at YoungTurp1. That is YoungTurp, the number one. And you can follow Mason on Twitter at Mason.
0: And that's going to do it for this episode of the Young Terps podcast. Thank you guys for listening. We will be back after the Michigan State game. Go Terps!